Hey, everyone. This is Chris Ryan from The Ringer. As many of you have heard by now, we lost a treasured colleague and friend over the weekend. Jonathan Charks passed away on Saturday. John was 34. He leaves behind a wife and a son, and we are obviously mourning his loss and sending all of our love to his family right now. If you go to theringer.com slash Jonathan Charks, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S, you will find a memorial page for John which has links to his GoFundMe that benefits his family and the amazing writing he did throughout his experience. I encourage you to go there. And if you can, please support the Charks family. Briefly, I will just say that John was among the first people that we hired to work for The Ringer. So he was instrumental in defining the voice and perspective of the site. He has as much to do with what this place is as anyone else. And throughout his experience with cancer, John communicated eloquently about the challenges he was facing, both through his writing and his podcasting. You could never stop John from talking about his passions. It's one of the things I loved about him. Over the last few months, you know, whenever we would talk, whenever I would reach out to see how he was doing, I would try to keep it very John-focused. And the next thing I knew, we would be talking about James Harden or Better Call Saul. He really loved this stuff. Uh, he loved talking about it, celebrating it, debating it, illuminating it. We're going to keep putting out our pods and writing while we grieve but we wanted to let folks know that John was in our hearts and that his family was in our thoughts. Thanks for listening. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on all of the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page in the post and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 up in president-select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show Friday edition with my good buddy Joe House. We're going to be walking through things that we've seen, things that we know, and things that we are predicting will happen in the future. I'm really excited, House. You got a long list of games here that you want to go over, so we might as well just dive right in. But before we do that, I know that you want to share with us some of your immediate reaction to what unfolded last week before we get into some of the uh, week two themes and trends. Yeah, we're going to get into some of that week two stuff. Uh, and, and I was pretty happy with the way 
last week went down. We were all over the Vikings. We we had nice things to say about the Bucks. We had bad things to say about Dallas. That all went the way we anticipated. Uh, the Texans, we gave all kinds of airtime to the Texans against the Colts. That worked out for us. Um, Chiefs and Ravens in our exotics, of course, that 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 came through. Have some bad things to say about San Francisco and the Patriots losing by double digits um, hurt my feelings. But Sharpie, as we get this thing going, I just need to get a, a reaction from you. It's going to be a proper reaction. It might be even an underreaction because, you know, what we're not doing is overreacting. I'm not using that O word in this uh, podcast today. Everybody did it all week long. I might make an O face if we start talking about Jahan oh. Dotson. Oh, my. The, 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 the potential rookie of the year, Jahan Dotson. That gets it going, baby. But look, oh. I have to ask you, speaking of O face, how was your stream last night? How did your stream go? My stream. Oh, your stream. The, the Amazon. Amazon I know. thing. How about yeah, it? Um, well, what was really bizarre, and actually, I think this is a good teaching moment for when you're live betting games. But what was really bizarre is I obviously have multiple TVs down here, and most of them are smart TVs. And so I pulled up one with the all 22 angle, I yes. pulled up another with the regular broadcast. But before I switched to the all 22 on the one TV, I was watching the regular broadcast on both TVs. And they were literally like 20 seconds different. And I was trying to fast forward the one to catch up and it wasn't doing it because one of them was like, a, what do you call it? Like a fire stick. Yeah. One was running prime through the TV software itself. Then I pulled up my phone and I played on my phone and that was actually like, a half a second, maybe a second faster than my fastest TV. And the point here is that obviously then I ultimately switched to the all 22 and on one TV with the regular on the other and the all 22 was definitely behind on that TV. Um, but the point here is if you're betting live games and you're trying to watch on TV, you're going to be delayed. You're not going to be able to get like, what's the next play or how do they do on this drive? Or, you know, like looking at live odds and you're trying to see adjustments that they're making and you don't know that they actually just threw uh, a 20 yard pass down the field. And so you're getting ready to bet the other team, but that team just allowed like a 20 yard completion and the book knows that, but you don't know that. And so there are just a lot of things if you really do want to bet in game stuff, Either wait to a commercial or invest a little bit, do your research and find platforms that are going to give you the updated information as fast at a minimum, as fast as the sports books get it. So this is why. Well, what did I you think of the live feed? Well, I, I was behind as well. I had two different TVs with two different sort of technological setups and one was was ahead of the other. And I called one of my uh, in the biz people to find out what the F was going on. And he explained that right now they're using um, an NBC infrastructure. So like the the broadcast is coming from Bristol, Connecticut, ultimately, like the last mile of how it's distributed. DirecTV and, and its package has one certain kind of standard um, deliverable because of all the bars that pay for the DirecTV package. So they have it sort of coming a certain way. 
And then the rest of us are left to whatever our Wi-Fi setups are going to produce. But ultimately, I'm not going to live bet these games except for at halftime. And, you know, I'm not firing live bets very often. There is a standard rule um, amongst me and a handful of friends. Anytime the Chiefs get down by double digits in any game, you immediately go find a money line to bet the Chiefs to, to, to win the game. Um, I didn't manage to pull that off last night, uh, but that, that is the sort of rare uh, instance where I do go ahead and jump in as the line might move around. But I, I tried to track the game on Twitter, to be honest with you, because you know the, there, is, there is across America people getting the game in real time. But it was a very sort of weird phenomena to be on a different time signature than, than, than other people. Having said all that, how about Al Michaels and, and Herbie? I thought they were pretty effing good. Yeah, I had no complaints there. The announce crew was pretty good together. Um, you know, I, I would I would complain a little bit more about the refereeing. I would also complain a lot more about Joe Lombardi continuing to restrict Justin Herbert. Um, like it's it's absolutely absurd. I tweeted some of this stuff out last night. On early downs, house, he averaged 3.8 air yards. 3.8 air yards. You want to know how many times he threw the ball more than 17 yards down the field? Twice. You know what he did on those two throws? Completed, Completed them. them both. Scored one touchdown. Yep. Total of like 72 yards. Of you course. know what he did? He threw it 15 times at or behind the line of scrimmage. How are we got we got a quarterback with the arm of Justin Herbert and he's throwing only twice 17 plus yards down the field and he's like perfect on these throws, but he's throwing 15 plus times at or behind the line of scrimmage. Joe Lombardi, to me, thinks that he's got this offense that like is so good, is so incredible with like the misdirections and the confusions and all the other little trickerations and schemes and concepts that he's bringing up and when he's calling these plays that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, anybody can execute this offense. And so we got to take this outstanding quarterback with this ridiculous arm and we'll stick him into my offense because my offense is actually going to win as opposed to let's craft an offense to fit the strengths of my quarterback that I have. That's absolutely not what he does. He's sticking the Justin Herbert peg into his hole. Actually, that doesn't sound very good. It's a good. bad hole. It's a bad That's hole, a Sharpie. <laughs> you know you're walking right into my territory here. I just, oh, okay. I, I don't know about that one. Um, We're keeping but, it in. <laughs> the bottom line here is that that was, that was absolutely... Uh, indicative of what I saw last year and complained about it during the season last year and on the Solak show last year during the year. We kept complaining about it as well and nothing really has changed at all. It's quite frustrating and it's one of the reasons why you and I were talking about this with Mike right before we started recording. I cannot believe that you got a quarterback like Justin Herbert and in his start of his career, if he had won that game last night, he would have just improved to leading his team to 17 wins and 17 losses, but they lost. And so now as a starter for the Chargers, his team is 16 and 18. And it really makes no sense. And I know that there is not really such a thing as QB wins, but at the same time, it shows you the team and the coaching that he's being surrounded with because it's not like he doesn't have decent wide receivers. I think anybody in the league, uh, anybody who evaluates the league house would suggest that the Chargers, at worst, have average to above average receivers. And they've had these guys ever since he was there, right? It's not like they just added Keenan Allen or just added Mike Williams. Like they've had these receivers. 
I know the O-line wasn't ideal, but has been improved a lot. There's no real reason why a team like this should not be above 500 uh, with a quarterback like him. When you look at what Patrick Mahomes did on his rookie deal and the wins and heat that he had, when you look at what Tom Brady was doing, when you look at even Russ when he was on his rookie year deal, when you look at Lamar Jackson, all these guys on their rookie year, year deal, rookie deals, those first four years, I mean, it's a cheat code. And yet this team can't even get above 500 with Justin Herbert. It makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all. It frustrates the hell out of you and and all of the other sort of uh, deep thinkers in the football space. At some point, this drumbeat has to land in the lap of uh, Brandon Staley. There's got to be some accountability. We can't keep having this guy uh, have his talent compromised. Now, it it is the the case that you know the the replacement at center at halftime yesterday did have an impact on um, the Chiefs' pass rush. And and now, now we're just worried about keeping Herbert upright because he got crushed. I mean, what happened to the hit that he that he took to his ribs? We don't have the results. I looked uh, maybe 20 minutes ago. I hadn't seen anything about the results of the x-rays yet. But um, let's just keep Justin Herbert alive. That just feels like, uh, um, you know, a, a simple, fair thing to ask at this point uh, early in the season. That, ta- that team, by the way, showed us last night that is a talented football team on both sides of, of the ball. If they have Super Bowl aspirations, and I believe that they they do, the only thing they have to get uh, cleared up is getting out of their own way at, at, at the coaching level. I mean, that 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 really, uh, I think, is the only limitation. I'm, uh, but, but it was an awesome game. It was fun to watch. Um, Amazon will get better. Uh, we'll, we'll make sense out, out of the stream thing. You used house. I told you, I told, I, I just want to say, I, I told you, I told everybody, I told Bill, this Chargers team is talented enough to win a Super Bowl. The only thing that keeps them out of it is injuries or coaching. And we saw Herbert get hurt last night and we saw ridiculously bad coaching. Like I, I just, I don't know. Do we know what happened to Herbert yet? Is that no, even I, been reported? I, I looked 20 minutes ago and there hadn't been any update on the x-rays. So we don't, we don't quite have the answer. Yeah. That's right. Well, you used just a minute ago, I know it was in a different context, the term cheat code, which is kind of what, what we took to calling your podcast last last season with Ben Solak, you and Ben going through a bunch of analytics and looking at schemes and formations on Wednesdays and breaking things down. Now I just got to enjoy very much your Wednesday show with Austin Gale, you guys uh, going through trends and, and perspectives on week two, making sure that we properly react, maybe even underreact. And, you know, I, I want to workshop uh, a name for that Wednesday show with you. I know that that this is just for, for our bit on, on Friday. I had a couple suggestions, okay. some things that you guys talked about. Um, Sports Center is for suckers. Is that, how's that? I mean, is that, is that, <laughs> that might be too long. Is that that might be too long? I had Let me the, hear the these others. other names might be things that are like, uh, I'm sure are already podcasts that are out there, like behind the box score. I mean, we're, you know, this is really what you guys did, though, was go and, and and you know, figure out, OK, we saw the results. We saw the highlight plays. We saw the touchdowns. But let's really drill down into this and, and get some proper context in place. So I also thought maybe let's keep it real. Let's keep it. real. So the, I'm workshopping. You don't have to select any of those. Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll keep talking it through. That Wednesday show every week does set up a really nice context for our Friday situation here, these picks, because you guys put everybody on high alert. Be careful out there. It's underdog time. 
Let's go ahead. Now we there were 10 home underdogs in in week one and favorites win eight and seven or eight, seven and one. Uh, I can't remember how uh the, the the what the final number turned out to be. Um, but there are some opportunities trend-wise out there where you can grab some value. Teams that lost by double digits in week one, and there were that's you know, 10 points or more. They've covered the spread better than 60% of the time in week two. And we have six of those kinds of teams out here. So you want to pick if, of those six, you know, can you get four of them right? And then, then you, you maybe cash. And can, again, this is a theme from last year. And both you guys talked this through a little bit on Wednesday show, the short dogs uh, rule. You know, when, when the line, week two underdogs off a straight up loss, when the line is six or fewer. So these are, these are teams that lost last week and are coming in and the line, it's a tighter kind of line. And those underdogs, uh, the teams that fit that are the Panthers, Jags, Jets, and Cardinals. At least two of those two teams I know that we have uh, mutual affinity for. But it's that kind of opportunity, that kind of value to look for this week, right? You, you, you're, you're in agreement with this? Yeah, I'm, I'm not in disagreement at all. This is the time that you want to fade kind of what you just saw. Everybody thinks what they saw week one is going to continue to happen for the other 17 weeks this season. And that's just not how football works. Teams make adjustments. Teams make changes. Uh, It's never as good as you just were, and it's never as bad as you just were. Well, let's try and apply that. And I don't know if you agree with me that this is the marquee game of the week, but I think it's the marquee game of the week. Um, the, The Minnesota Vikings going into Philadelphia on Monday night, um, Two teams that uh, I know we liked in the futures markets, or at least I liked in the futures markets. I have all kinds of cash every which way. And you and Austin talked through, um, you know, being in in the fortuitous position of having particularly a lot of Eagles exposure in the NFC East. Now, I'm not prepared to crown anybody's ass yet because it's only week one. And, you know, the Eagles showed quite a bit on on offense, but there are some other teams in the NFC East that are going to get some time and attention on this podcast as the season goes on. I know you know it, but let, let's go <laughs> ahead and, and talk through a little bit of how this Vikings-Eagles um, matchup. I, I was kind of surprised when I saw the line that this wasn't um, uh, uh, closer to a pick and I, I understand the idea of Eagles uh, home opener um, and the, the, you know, the basic two and a half there. But I am taking this Minnesota team very seriously this season. And, and what they showed, we forecasted on last week's show that they were going to arrive, that it was a crucial game for them. It was a crucial uh, moment for Kevin O'Connell to come in, put his mark on this team and instill a, a sense of confidence and somehow the Green Bay Packers decided to let Justin Jefferson run all over the football field. Um, I thought the Vikings on both sides of the ball were, were impressive. They didn't, uh, they, it was a, it ended up being a, a relatively low scoring game it went way, way, way under. Um, but that's because the Vikings just, you know, pulled out as much as they needed to, to win the football game. I thought the pass rush, was pretty good, and I think what they're doing on offense is sustainable. Um, and and on the other side, man, Philly, that offense has a lot of weapons, and A.J. Brown was exactly the revelation that a lot of folks anticipated and what they hoped for. But God damn it, Jonathan Gannon, you better figure out the middle of the effing football field, buddy, 
because Justin Jefferson is coming to town. And if you're going to give him the middle of the football field, you're going to be sitting on your ass come the fourth quarter. Okay, I'll stop now. I will let you, with your wisdom and your analytics, uh, take over and provide some some genuine uh, context to the situation. Well, no, I, I, I love it. Um, I do have a difference of opinion, however, in why the score of the Green Bay Packers game wasn't a little bit higher. And it actually was because not that the Vikings were turning it down offensively. It was because of issues and errors that the Green Bay Packers offense had in key situations. Um, This game could have been massively different. On the very first play of the game for the Packers, rookie Christian Watson dropped a walk-in touchdown bomb from Aaron Rodgers. Packers went on to punt the ball on that drive. That was obviously horrific. On their third drive, they drive 79 yards. They're forced into third down only one time, but they turn the ball over on downs on the Packers, on the Vikings' one-yard line. Their first drive out of the half, they fumble the ball on their own 44-yard line, which the Vikings turned into points. On their second drive out of the half, they drove 75 yards without being forced into a third down even once. They scored from the Vikings' two-yard line, but the next drive they drove from their 25 to the Vikings' 18, reaching third down only twice. Notice the theme here. Only to turn it over on downs once again. And so here is my my point. What shocked me, there's two things that really shocked me about this game that you're not going to hear about from anybody else unless you're looking at the numbers that we're sharing with you um, or listening to the show here. And that is, first and foremost, the Minnesota Vikings could not get pressure on the Green Bay Packers. And that was massively shocking because this was a Packers offensive line that was playing without two starters. This was a game in Minnesota where they have, and we've gone on record talking about this, the best home field advantage in the NFL. And the reason why is because of that crowd noise. Part of the reason why is because of that crowd noise that reverberates down. The roof has been designed, architecturally designed house to reflect that crowd noise back down onto the field. It's very difficult to operate, especially when you don't have two offensive linemen that should be there, especially when your top two wide receivers from last year are not out on the field. Obviously, Devontae Adams gone and Alan Lazard out for this game. And yet the Vikings get pressure at the number 28 highest rate in the first three quarters of this game. Like they rank bottom five at home with that atmosphere, with that crowd noise at getting pressure on a team that has two offensive linemen not there and two top receivers from last year not playing. That was absolutely shocking to me. The other thing that was equally as shocking to me, in my opinion, was the performance of this Green Bay Packers offense. And when you go back and look at a statistic that is basically third down avoidance, how often are you converting first downs on first and second down? When I was reading off those numbers, House, about how long the Packers were driving the football without going to third down or going to third down only once, the number one team in the NFL at skipping third downs last week was the Kansas City Chiefs. They got first and they got a first down on first and second down at like a 40% clip. The number two best team in the NFL was the Green Bay Packers oh. at like a 36% clip. But they only scored seven points. So it looks like the Vikings defense was outstanding, right? And so I got news for you. The Vikings defense now not playing at home with that crowd noise and playing on the road in Seattle, uh, on the road in Philadelphia in my opinion, is in for a rude awakening. 
They're in for a rude awakening with this Philadelphia Eagles offense and what they're going to be able to do. Now, I will say this as an aside. This year, more than any, you, you and I, you've been listening to my stuff before I even work with you, but you and I have been working together for a little while now. And I've been preaching this third down avoidance, early down efficiency for a, over a decade, over yes, a decade. And now have. there is absolutely nothing more that people talk about in the, in the, in the sharper betting or analytics community than being able to bypass third downs. And it just warms my heart that every single person is now on this bandwagon too, because it, it was, it was, it's been part of the reason why we've had edges for so long. And uh, part of me doesn't love the fact that everybody else is not talking about it because uh, inevitably some of those edges could be impacted by that. Uh, but, but there's no doubt about it. Now, real quick on the other side of the ball, here's the biggest key to me. And that is Jonathan Gannon's defense. Last year, they had massive splits against the run from running backs based on personnel. If you trotted out 11 personnel and handed the ball to a running back against Gannon's defense, this was one of the worst run defenses in the league. They ranked 30th in yards per carry, allowing nearly five, and they ranked 31st in success rate allowed. But if you tried to run the ball against this defense from any other personnel grouping besides 11 and people that are, you know, should know that's three wide receivers, a running back and a tight end. This is the default grouping for most of the league. Um, if you use any other personnel grouping, only 3.7 yards per carry, that was ninth best in the league in terms of what their run defense was. They moved from a top 10 run defense to a bottom two run defense when they're trying to defend 11 personnel runs. Last week versus the Detroit Lions, did it get any better? The Lions averaged almost 10 yards per carry running out of 11 personnel, 9.6. They had, that was obviously the best in the league. They had 60% success rate running the football. That was also one of the best in the league. They allowed plus 0.56 EPA per attempt. That was the best in the league for the offense, worst in the league for the defense. So no, it was not fixed at all last year. Yes, they drafted Jonathan Davis. That did not fix anything because of the way that they were being deployed against 11 personnel and how often they were actually having him in the game, et cetera, et cetera. Look at the percentage of Vikings runs that come from 11. We talked about this, that they're going to mo run more from 11. They did it last week. It was one of the reasons I liked the Vikings against the Packers last week. This year, the Minnesota Vikings shifted from less than 25% of their runs from 11 personnel in 2021 up to over 61%. Uh, they're now ranked seventh highest percentage of total runs from 11. I think they're going to have success running the football here. That's going to take a little bit of the burden off of Kirk Cousins. I still think he might have success throwing the ball here, but I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have their share of success as well against a defense that I think actually looked way worse than the defense that held the Green Bay Packers to only seven points on the scoreboard. Okay, okay, all right. There's some nuggets in there. Um, everything that you're describing here leads me uh, to only one sort of conviction on this game, and that is an over position. I think the number I saw was 51 and a half. Has it moved off the 51 and a half? No, it's still 51 and a half. And actually, this, this line... Um, some spots open at 48. We have to remember, like, the markets are really soft. You see what, oh, it opened at this. Yeah, they take, like, a couple hundred bucks at, at a few spots. Like, yeah. that's that's not a legitimate um, real number when some of the other bigger books are opening. And 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 nobody, nobody that 
actually wants to get down decent volume is betting into these Sunday night football openers and fucking up the line for right. them to get more money down when more of the market opens. So the people that are betting into those are the smaller guys who just want to get a few hundred bucks down on the game and they're just going to be satisfied with it, which is obviously not something that me and my group is interested in doing. We're, we're trying to get dimes and dimes down on this stuff, not, not that short number. But at any rate, um, normal opener on, on Monday morning where it was was around 48 and a half to mostly 49s. It got as high as, I want to say, 51. Actually, maybe I saw some 52s out there. Came back down. It's widely been available for most of the week at 50 and a half. Obviously, we know 51 is a key number. I do get a sense, though, House, that we're not going to see this thing really take off. Like, I don't think we're going to see this thing get above 51. There's enough people that are looking to back the under here that are going to balance out that money. So you might even be able to wait a little bit on the 50 and a half to get a lower number, but you don't want to miss out on your chance to get something better than the 51. Um, and the biggest impediment to it, you know, it sounded like you were leaning a little bit towards the Vikings. The biggest impediment to the Vikings here or the over, in my opinion, would be primetime Kirk Cousins. Is that a realistic thing in the construct out there? Or was that Mike Zimmer putting a lot of pressure on him and him not feeling good and like being influenced and impacted by negative energy that persisted throughout that locker room? I have no freaking clue because now we got KOC in there and we'll see what they're able to do offensively. But um, one and covered the last two Kirk Cousins. I know the record going backwards doesn't look as good, but he's one and covered his, his, his last two. I don't think he's afraid of Monday night. And he's been in Philly. You know, Washington was was up there quite a bit. He knows what that experience feels like. And he's ready to go ask all those people, do, do you like that? But and I, that's just a lean. I like Minnesota um, in a lean. I had them. I caught them uh, earlier in the week when they were up at two and a half and threw them into a tease immediately. Um, you know, tease them up to eight and a half. Uh, I don't think that number is available anymore. I think it's like one and a half or something um, now. But uh, the over would be the the way that I would I would play this in any event. But I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled, to have that game to look forward to on Monday night. What a great capper to week yeah. two to go along. Double header with, Monday night. Double header. Do you know why I, that is? Well, I don't know what the NFL is doing there, but I I, I, I absolutely see no reason to stage it this way like i know that they're trying to like delay the first one until it might be halftime of the second one buddy we want to see the entirety of the second half of the uh titans bills game because i do. think that's going to be a fun game i don't want to have two games on at once what, what, what what's the problem with starting one at let's say seven and yeah. one at 10 or yeah. one at 6 30 and right. one at 8 30 like yeah. 9 30 i i don't i don't we figure space this out. them out it's 2022 let's, let's figure it out like why, why, why do <laughs> we need we them to overlap you know? i know well we're gonna have um some other things to figure out here all right betting buddies football season is underway so now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, america's number one sportsbook because right now new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Now, all we do, me and Warren Sharp here on this Friday show is give out winners. But in case you don't win, it can happen. Weird things happen in the universe occasionally. 
you can get your, your money back. All you got to do is sign up with promo code GAMBLERS, G-A-M-B-L-E-R-S. Bet the house this week. We're giving out a, a, a wonderful teaser. We're putting the Cincinnati Bengals going into Dallas and, and making poor Dallas cry a little bit more. Taking that that number from a seven down to a one, and then we're taking the Carolina Panthers going into the, to New York Giants land, teasing the Giants from two and a half up to eight and a half. That's around that number. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from money line to point spreads to player props to teasers, so you can play it with live betting. You get updated odds on games that have already started. So if you don't like the position on any of these things, you can adjust your way out of it. Sign up today with promo code gamblers for your no sweat first bet make every moment more this season with FanDuel the official sportsbook partner of the NFL quick disclaimer you have to be 21 years old or older in select states the first online real money wager only refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days restrictions apply see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com if you have a gambling problem you can call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. In Arizona, you can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342, 1-888-789-7777 or ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. In Kansas, you can visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. In New York, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. The Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789. In Wyoming, you're calling 1-800-522-4700. Or if you're in West Virginia, just visit www.1800gambler.net. The next game I want to talk about is the uh, Buccaneers, Tampa going down to, to New Orleans. Um, Tampa's favored by two and a half. The total's 44 and a half. I have this quote that I need to, to read to you. I just want to bounce this off. You know, I consume a lot of content over the course of a week to try and get smart, to try and build up a little, a little card every Friday that makes sense. There's a, there's a sharp guy out there that's better... Grab the Saints at a great number this summer in a in a look ahead position. This guy got uh, the, the 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 Saints at three and a half, and yep. the line has since moved down to two and a half. And that better, he should feel great about having that that value. But I, I heard him this week on a podcast. He says, "I don't know what the fuck I just saw with the Saints defense." Now, buddy, now I know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was you, and it was on the Wednesday podcast, and I kind of share that sentiment. Now, as I watched that uh, Falcons-Saints game with only kind of one eye, it was a curious eye because I've long been, I've had a soft spot for Marcus Mariota since he cost me, speaking of dimes, um, multiples in that direction by beating the Chiefs in Arrowhead a handful of years ago when he was the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. Um, he uh, caught his own touchdown ball. He threw a ball that was deflected and then caught it and ran it in. It cost me a lot of money. Uh, Harrison Butker also missed uh, a field goal in that game. 
we, we, we let bygones be bygones, but really ever since that moment, I've had an eye out for Mariota and I've honestly rooted for, I think even maybe on this podcast, Mariota as a potential quarterback candidate for the Washington team because he's reasonably priced um, and for where Washington has been trajectory wise, you know, I didn't make a lot of sense to me to be investing. But the only reason I'm going down this rabbit hole is because it looked to me like Atlanta had some weapons on offense. The way that Mariota was moving, Cordero Patterson rushed the ball pretty well. Um, uh, uh, the the Kyle Pitts was involved, and then uh, London. I knew I was going to get this, the name of the the gentleman whose last name is a world famous city. Correct, Drake London. Uh, very very prominent feature in that offense. And as I'm watching with one eye, I'm saying to myself, "Is this a function of a shitty game plan by the Saints?" Or is this Falcons team maybe a little frisky? And I don't really have an answer, although I am on alert with Atlanta. I'm not laying any huge numbers with Atlanta because I really do think that um, it's a frisky. Laying or taking? Well, no, no, I'm laying like this. The, the Rams are favored by ten and a half. I'm not. I'm not. And there's, there's no way. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm, so I'm, you're I'm not, you're that. not, lay, you're not fading the Falcons on a huge yeah, number. Got that's, it. Okay. That's what I meant. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yep. But, but in in any event, I'm, I'm very eager to hear your assessment of that Saints defense. Now, on the offensive side, obviously, it looked to me like it took the Saints three quarters to basically get the rhythm. Like, they're one of the teams that didn't play uh, their starters in in the preseason. And so it just took three quarters for um, um, uh, Mike Williams and and, and uh, Jameis to get on the same page. But the, the defense was was the thing, I thought, for with the Saints, especially with all of the high rankings of last season. It was a kind of dominant defense. What's going on there? I, I still, it's still to be determined. I'm curious as if they were playing a style unsure of what Marcus Mariota and this Falcons offense was going to do, that it caught them a little bit by surprise, seeing, I mean, they shouldn't have been surprised with all the pistol. They shouldn't have been surprised with Mariota running the football a bit uh, with the way that they were calling and executing this offense. But, um, you know, they obviously weren't getting after the quarterback. I was shocked to see Mario drop back 18 times to pass on early downs and the Saints get zero pressures, which I shared. They had the worst pressure rate of any team in the NFL last week. And it's like, okay, if you're not pressuring the quarterback, what are you doing? Like just playing the run a lot? And yet they ranked number 25 in EPA per rushing attempt to running backs and they allowed 2.4, basically 2.5 yards before contact per rush. That ranked 28th and their EPA per attempt ranked 25th. So this was like, a top five run defense against backs. They were number one in EPA, and now they're bottom five in yards before contact per rush. Um, so that still is to be determined. I do think that the Falcons are frisky. I got a couple of little Ooh. nuggets for you on that game uh, against the Rams. How So this one is an interesting dichotomy between a, a nugget, and I'm not a trends better, right? But I'm just yeah. going to share these things with you. I, I used to dig up trends, and I happen to still look at them from time to time just to understand what's going on. But I, I focus more now that I have the play-by-play data. I'm breaking down, you know, tape better, and I'm dealing a little bit more with uh, with efficiencies and whatnot. I'm not really just focusing on high-level trends, but let me just share these. Teams off of week one Thursday night football that have three extra days of rest advantage are 17-3 and three straight up and 14-6 and six ATS in their last 20 games since 2011. So these teams typically do well. That would be the Buffalo Bills this week, which if you're following along or you're a sub to the site, like you got that at minus seven last week when we gave that out uh, Thursday 
Wednesday or I think before they even played their Thursday night game. Um, but this is a very strong trend that obviously is favoring the Rams here because they've got extra rest. They got extra time to break down what went right or wrong for them and find a solution to it before the Falcons have that time to do because the Falcons played on Sunday. But here's an interesting angle that actually sort of hurts the Rams. And that is there might be a combination of some anchoring here as well as just some overinflation on this line. So let's start with that. Teams that lost at home in week one and now play again at home and are favored in that game. Since 2004, they're just 3-11 and 11 ATS. That's huh. 21%. And some of the thought process there, in my opinion, is that it's like, okay, they just lost at home. And you only get a certain number of home games during the season. And you're one of the teams that has another home game in week two. If you don't win this game, like, and you've just burned through two of your home games and started out the season 0 and 2, dude, you're, you're in massive trouble. You are in absolutely massive trouble. Yeah, this is going to be like, we call you the Dallas Cowboys. That's what we call you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, so good point. Um, but they're going to have like, laser focus on this game, right? To yes. try to ensure, and so all the betting public knows that too. They're like, the, the Rams and Chamonix, they just won a Super Bowl. They can't lose two straight games at home. And as a result, like they tend to inflate those lines and the betting public ends up coming in on favorites and then they end up getting their ass handed to them. Um, they're 0-4 if they're favored by over a touchdown. Here's another winless trend that relates to it. Home teams off of a week one loss, at home, who are now home favorites in week two, and they play a team who lost last week, 0-8 ATS. So it's just the trends are obviously favoring the Atlanta Falcons a little bit more. Frisky Falcons. And then then to me, there's this like little bit of an element of anchoring. And what do I mean by that? People were obviously high on the Rams before the season started. Now, some people might have bet they're under. Some people might have thought that they were overvalued. But when Tom Brady like stepped away from the game briefly, this was the favorite to win the NFC. When Brady came back, this was the second favorite to win the NFC. Like This was a team that was projected to make it to the NFC championship game, regardless of whether Tom Brady was there or not. This is a team that was supposed to win the NFC West. Um, this is a team that was favored by 13 points before the start of the season against the uh, the Falcons in this game. The Falcons were a team that was supposed to win five games, maybe have the worst record in the NFL. Like this was a team that was supposed to be trash against one of the Super Bowl contenders. Um, the line was supposed to be high. And when they reopened this line after the Sunday games concluded, they opened it at 12 and a half. <laughs> so barely close to that 13 number. And that is like this anchoring element to me where it's like, okay, should we just throw out week one entirely? Because that's basically what they were doing. They were just like throwing out week one and saying, okay, we can't give them 13. Let's give them 12 and a half. It started getting bet down. It got as low as nine and a half before some people who are still rooted, maybe their power numbers or metrics are looking a lot at influence of the futures market or maybe their influence of last season. And they're not looking at like just this season. Could we have been wrong about our priors on the Atlanta Falcons? Might they be a touch better? Could we have been wrong on our priors about the Rams? Could they be a touch worse than we thought? But they're using a lot of like the futures market as well as last year in their numbers. And they're like, there's no way the the Rams should be laying less than double digits here. And so they bet this game back up in favor of the Rams. 
I have not gotten involved. The line is sitting at 10 right now across the board. Um, we did see a little bit of under money come in here. This could be an interesting game. I am not writing the Falcons off. I am definitely not joining the party. If the Rams win by double digits here, you know, good for Matthew Stafford's elbow, good for Sean McVay, but like I am not getting on that bandwagon. If I'm doing anything here, it would be looking the opposite direction, but I haven't done that yet. It's so good. We're here on the Friday podcast and we began with the Saints Bucks thing and then we ended up in this beautiful Rams Falcons <laughs> rabbit hole which is really like a value proposition like sharing with all of, of our betting buddies out there the, the, the you know some some angles to to consider we want to make sure we get as much of this card covered I also am not going to do anything with that Rams Falcons game other than a tiny like you know multiple leg money line parlay on the Rams because I just can't imagine their season being over you go 0-2 at home the way you just described your season's over like let's let's not you know beat around the bush the, the mountain that you have to climb is uh enormous and that offense that the Rams trotted out there last week. Now, it could be a function of how good the Bills' defense is, and maybe we'll, over time we will say, oh, my God, this is a legendary Bills' uh, defense, but it just looked a weapon shy to me, the way, the, the way that they matched up against the Bills. But you, you said that they might win by double digits. Let's go back, though, to this Buccaneers-Saints game. What the fuck is wrong with the Saints' defense, Warren Sharp? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like I said, <laughs> I think it if it... The only logical explanation for me without having insight into their actual game plan was that they weren't sure what the uh, Saints, what the Falcons were going to come up with offensively. And they decided not to be as aggressive at the line of scrimmage and, and, and wait and be prepared to see what came to them a little bit more. They weren't attacking from, they couldn't get the pressure, you know, so, you know, I'm not really sure there, but wow. what do we know? What do we know, House, when a defensive head coach Yep. Like a DC becomes your head coach. And if your defense isn't great, then it's time to find a new head coach. Right. So Dennis Allen better get this cleaned up. This is a, this is a, um, you know, say the, the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know. Like they know Tom Brady, like yeah. that's a devil that they know they've played well against him. They've gotten pressure. The Bucks O line is in worse shape than in any of those prior four matchups. And they've given Tom Brady a lot of problems in the past. So, um, I'm expecting the saints team to get back on track defensively and figure it out. Because if they don't, I have my concerns because I don't know what the Saints offense, as you mentioned, they didn't look great against the Atlanta Falcons defense. This Bucks defense is substantially better than the Atlanta Falcons defense. I don't have a lean or uh, a feel for the total. I will say the narrative of Tom Brady having this game circled on his calendar and saying, uh, you know, there's nobody out there that beats me, you know, five times in a row or whatever. That narrative makes some sense to me. I do believe in in his holiness, Tom Brady. And if I had to, I, I will have to make an uh, against the spread play for one of the multiple leagues that I'm in. I will pick the, the Buccaneers to cover the two and a half. But um, I think there are too many uncertainties on both sides of the ball with the Saints to have a, a strong conviction. And I have to be honest, I kind of feel the same way about this very next game that I want to hit, which is the Miami Dolphins catching three and a half points at Baltimore, a total of 44 and a half in, in that game. Uh, I know you and Austin touched on 
uh, the Miami uh, offense and um, other folks across the the Ringer NFL and Ringer gambling world have also sort of checked in, weighed in with assessments. Um, I, one of the sentiments that I've heard with this Miami offense is notwithstanding um, the number of points they scored and uh, how, um, you know, efficient it looked. It was like kind of, you know, the, the new toys uh, that Mike McDaniel had um, and, and you know, the connection with, with Tyreek was was powerful and what Tua did in the, on that fourth down play with Jalen Waddell was, was super impressive, but maybe a tiny bit of smoke and mirrors with that Miami offense. Um, and on the other side of things, Baltimore just didn't really do anything against the Jets other than beat them with a couple of, of, of explosive plays, which is like fine, but the Baltimore identity, the Baltimore run, I think they ran for 63 yards and, and, you know, they, they, uh, were, were not very impressive. Um, I, I don't know what to make of, of the Baltimore offense. The only thing that I do have a strong feel for is speaking of, uh, teams having games circled. Baltimore and John Harbaugh have been looking at this Miami game in week two. Baltimore at home, it's it's home opener. After the embarrassment of last season, I th- that was a Thursday night game, I think, where they uh, uh, blitzed the hell out of uh, Lamar, that they had this game circled and that they have a, a game plan for, for attacking Miami. Yeah, no, I think this game is going to be really intriguing because this was a game with both of these teams I'm higher than market on, right? Like, but if you are a better, you have to be truthful with yourself. You have to be pragmatic about the positions that you take and you can't get carried away with things. It's one thing to like joke a little bit about on things on Twitter and, you know, go over the top because that's what gets engagement and that's fine. But when we're talking about betting money, we're talking about learning from what you've seen and processing it properly, you've got to be realistic with yourself um, or you're never going to grow your bankroll. And I was disappointed in both of these offenses big time last week. Ah, let's okay. just be let's just be real. I was disappointed with Mike McDaniel and Tua's offense and Lamar and the Ravens offense. Let's start with the Dolphins. On dropbacks that the Patriots did not blitz, they got pressure 43% of the time. 43% of the time, they did not blitz. They were still getting pressure. This was an, supposed to be an improved offensive line for the Miami Dolphins. No quarterback was under pressure more often than Tua was last week. So non-blitz dropbacks, most pressure in the NFL last week. That would have been most of any team in the NFL last year as well. But uh, even when he was blitzed, Tua had overall the most pressure of any quarterback in the league last week. The Dolphins had just one touchdown on offense last week, House. Just one. And it came on a fourth and seven at the Patriots' 42-yard line with 24 seconds left in the first half on a broken play. Like, very difficult. You look at the second half drives. Eight yards and a punt. Nine yards and a punt. Nine yards and a punt. 50 yards and a field goal. That was their best drive. 50 yards and a field goal. Um, They also had 47 yards to end the game uh, as, as they were basically just winding things down and then took some knees. Uh, Tua had massive splits man versus zone last week. We'll see what happens this week, but new offense is important to just be aware of this because it's a small sample, but just to be aware, uh, he was great versus man, terrible versus zone. Uh, completion percentage was solid versus man, all the efficiency metrics, but not so much against zone. 
And what did the Ravens do? Well, if this was 2021 or 2020 or 2019, I would be like, oh, fuck, because Wink Martindale blitzes a lot and plays a lot of man. But this is not. Mike McDonald dropped the percentage of man coverage tremendously to sub 10% after it was over 25% uh, on early downs last season under Wink. Um, then you go to the other side of the ball. Yeah, the Ravens look great. And the Ravens had all the sports center plays. And we talked about this a little bit on the uh, Wednesday show. But only one of 10 drives that started in Ravens territory made it out of Ravens territory. Only two of 12 drives gained 35 plus yards. Only three of 12 drives gained more than a first down. So uh, both of these teams could not run the football. And that's what I really think is going to happen here. I think they're going to try. I think I think neither of these teams would come into this game. They're both 1-0. So they feel a little bit good about themselves that they got to win. I don't think they're going to let two weeks elapse and just be like, well, fuck it. I don't care if we can't run the ball at all. Let's just go win games. Like some teams might do that. These teams, in my opinion, these coaches, especially Mike McDaniel, coming from where he came from with the 49ers and then the Ravens to an extent, although they threw the ball a lot last season, I think they're going to say like, we got to figure out this run game a little bit. We got to try to run the football a little bit more here. As a result, I, I I don't know. I just see the clock ticking a little bit in this game. I see this game um, headed a little bit towards the under. And 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 quite frankly, like I know you got these quarterbacks and you got Tyree Kill and you got Jalen Waddle. They could break plays from anywhere on the field. You got Lamar Jackson. He could run and scramble for a 60-yard touchdown. He could throw a 70-yard touchdown bomb. Like these guys can score points quickly. Uh, but I'm going to be very fascinated to see how often they are actually scoring points quickly here. Okay, so that sounds like an underlean, even though it's a, it's a, it's a low number, 44 and a half. Um, but it sounds like an underlean, be, mainly because game plan-wise, you expect to see both of these teams try and build something that's sustainable over the course of the season. I might join in on, on that one uh, with you, a little under action on that football game. Um I want to get to the meat of the matter, at least as far as my card goes. This, of course, is the Urban Meyer Horny Dog Game of the Week. I am absolutely okay. thrilled to announce that the Washington Seawords are underdogs going into Detroit. They're getting one and a half at the, at the moment. There was time on the board when they were getting two and maybe even two and a half. The total is 48 and a half. That feel, God, I'm, I think they're going to go way past the over. But let me just, just tell you, am I betting on the C words to be the only NFC East team to win this week. Well, is, is Nathaniel Hackett a moron and a saboteur? The, the answer to all those questions were sharp as yes, Nathaniel Hackett is a moron and he did sabotage the Denver Broncos. And I am betting on the C words to be atop the NFC East by the time week two is over here coming up uh, er, early next week. I love this position for the C-words. Also a wonderful uh, uh, teaser leg. We got the full Carson Wentz experience. Simmons uh, on one of his podcasts said we should start calling Carson Wentz the gamut because you get everything. He runs the gamut <laughs> in, in emotions, in performance, in, in, in every bit of, of, you know, top of the mountain excitement and bottom of the barrel dejection. You go through it all with this guy. and. You know what? If this is the way the season is going to go, I I'm okay with it because it means that they'll be competitive. Two scores in the fourth quarter to win the game. That Jags team 
um, is not a joke. Uh, they have skill on both sides of the ball. They damn sure should have won that. Uh, Etienne dropping the ball uh, at the goal line. Um, that that score, missing out on that scoring opportunity for the Jags, changed the trajectory of the game. Um, and I think over the course of the season, people that have invested in the Jaguars, um, you know, for over their win totals and, and maybe even a little bit for that awful uh, AFC South conference. I mean, I, I, I don't see them over the Colts, but who knows? We'll, we'll get that matchup this week, but I am all in on this Washington team. The, the, the Detroit, you know, back seven continue to be among the worst in the league, notwithstanding the very admirable, uh, uh, grit grind and, you know, never give up attitude of their head coach, which the whole team is clearly bought into there in, in Detroit. Um, I was pleased that Washington showed um, a little bit of uh, improvement with its pass rush, and I was pleased that they were not at the bottom of the league in third down, um, you know, giving up third down plays and letting teams, letting the Jags continue uh, on there. So uh, nice backdoor cover by the Lions, but, you know, first time since 2020 that they've been favored. I love this opportunity for, for my team. I may end up, you know, uh, Egg on my face as usual, but I am invested. It's only week two. We're one and zero, and about to be two and zero. Warren Sharp, what do you think? You know, I don't know on this one, House. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hate it. Like Washington is definitely a very popular teaser leg this week, as we discussed, and you can move them up through the three and the seven, and and so that might not be the worst way to look at this one here. But um, Washington run defense was pathetic to a Jaguars team that really wasn't like a great running team. Um, Jaguars gained 7.5 yards per carry. That was second best in the NFL. 47% of their running back runs gained three plus yards before contact. This Washington uh, defensive line that was at home was not playing yes. very well at all. I was shocked to see the Jaguars not pivot a little bit more into the run because of how successful they were at it. I mean, Normally, you're never going to hear me say something like that, right? And I'm not talking about go all in on the run game here, but their running backs averaged more yards per carry than Trevor Lawrence averaged yards per pass attempt, like a full yard more per pass for, per carry than Trevor Lawrence averaged. He was only averaging 6.5 yards per um, pass attempt here. Um, dude, Lions are going to love running. You know, the Lions are going to love running against this defense and they're probably going to run Swift early looks and so often. Good. He looks Swift so good. Looked last good. Week now, too. he was out the last couple of days. Yeah. I heard that he's going to do a little bit of light work in this practice on Friday. I would expect him to play. It's at home. You got the Dan Campbell. Everybody's trying to play for Dan Campbell. Uh, you don't want to start off 0-2 at home. Um, I think this is going to be a very fun game. I actually do. I think, you know, normally you pick Washington versus Detroit. That game's going to stink. I think it's actually going to be pretty fun and entertaining. Um, I will say this. This is exactly what I said about Carson Wentz when they signed him. He is the most talented quarterback that Washington has had for a while. True. He's going to elevate. He's going to elevate Terry McLaurin in this passing game. Truth. However, he is inaccurate at times. 
And he makes some of the most boneheaded decisions late in games that you will ever see. And you're like, why the fuck was he doing that? What was he thinking there? Sack fumbles, turnovers. And what did we see? The very first game, Carson Wentz throws his knuckleheaded interception. And then, of course, he's still semi-talented enough to bring this team back and score touchdowns late in the game. You got the full roller coaster. You got the gamut. Yeah, um, this buddy. is exactly what I was predicting. And then Washington fans were like, oh, what about all the touchdowns? Like I said, Wash, I said Carson is the most talented quarterback that they've had in a while. I hope he performs well because it's been a while since he's performed well and since Washington's had great performance out of the quarterback position. So I really would hope nothing more than it does work out for you. I'm just saying, look out for these boneheaded plays that keep happening because at some point, he's not going to be able to erase it against the Jaguars defense, which was, by the way, last year, one of the worst in the NFL. Let's not forget, like, it's not like he was, like, scoring all these touchdowns late against a good defense. This was, like, thankfully, they were playing some trash out on the field because that's how he was getting those touchdowns. I'm not saying Detroit's much better defensively, but nah, it should be yeah, a fun the, game. They're not. And and <laughs> I want to just bounce something off of you. Uh, and okay. I don't intend it for this to be like a 10-minute discussion. And maybe something we'll just cover over the course of the season. I'm attracted by the idea of teasing Washington through the three and the seven up to seven and a half, but then grabbing the total, which sits at 48 and a half, and dragging that down to 42 and a half and let that be the way that I tease that game. Is there anything uh, ab- about that strategy uh, that you want to throw up all over, or, or yes. is that a okay? Good. Yes. So let, before you even stop, I'm, about, I'm not gonna. I won't give you a long answer because you said don't give me a long I, answer. We'll talk about it more because I. A, I'm you're looking not even. A, you're not even getting to 41, which is one of the more key numbers in total. Okay. But put good, that good. aside. There is no way that the numbers that you tease a total through yeah. will never land frequently enough to have the same land rate or hit rate as the numbers that you would tease in the standard, you know, ah, plus EV teaser windows of moving through a three and a seven. In so a the percentage that those numbers are going to land when you're teasing a spread that you're going to get value on is significantly higher than the percentage you add up all the times that a game is going to land on average on 47, 45, 44, even though those numbers are higher hit rates, it's just not even going to be close. And thus you're just pissing away value pissing when away you're teasing totals. There we I'm not go. saying it can't win. Like you know, I understand. some of these things are 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 the point going is to be value. winning the legs. Point is the expect the expected right. value, and you don't want yes. to just take uh, take it and, and and cast it aside. It doesn't make any any sense. Okay, I'm glad that I asked, and you 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 got rid of it quickly. Uh, I want to jump into what I think is my very favorite um, play of of the week. I think that you're going to endorse it. It is a teaser. Last week I liked a teaser very much, and and it and it uh, didn't pan out because uh, there was a monsoon in Chicago. And I know that that you and Austin Gale went through a whole analysis about why we should be patient with Trey Lance. I'm not really on board with being patient with him. He did look right at the D-back, the, the, the defensive back that he threw the ball to for that interception that was the game-losing interception. I can't unsee that. I watched it happen in lifetime. But I understand we need to be big picture and big context around that. Um, so uh, that teaser didn't pan out, but this teaser i I believe has, has legs. We've mentioned a couple times. I've, I've very much enjoyed reveling in the misfortune of the kid Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I will continue to, to revel in it. We all had, uh, you know, a, a bunch of our suspicions around da- the Dallas 
success story coming into this season um, being, uh, we were skeptical and we bought a bunch of unders on the win totals, a lot of folks across the board, and we bought other teams to win the NFC East and particularly the absence of talent on the offensive side in the form of Amari Cooper and the lack of imagination. I am a person that invested in Tony Pollard overs on on props, both receptions and in yards. And they were both very modest. They were like two and a half or three, and the yards was like 23, 24. And none of that came to pass because Tony Pollard, for whatever reason, um, Kellamore had him back there as a pass blocker when Ezekiel Elliott is their best running back for that role. And yet Tony Pollard is back there getting his doors blown off by the Tampa Bay defense. Uh, the position that Dallas finds itself in now was really it's, it's season on, on the brink because we, we referenced this in connection with the Rams. You can't open the season with two losses at home. I think they're in a, in a, in a terrible way right here. Uh, I don't know Cooper Rush. I wish him the best in terms of the success in, in his life. But what Cincinnati is bringing to bear, especially on the offensive side, if you you, you have the opportunity to grab the Cincinnati uh, Bengals who are favored by seven and a half and teasing that down to one and a half or, you know, there's been some variation. There was they, I've seen Cincy at eight. I've seen Cincy at eight and a half. I've seen, I think they're right now at seven and a half. Anything no, right, under- right now they're right now they're widely available at seven. They're bang. So tease that down to to, to one. Yeah, and you, you can get one on that. And I'm gonna pair that right up with the Carolina Panthers. Are we gonna invest in Baker Mayfield this week? Yes, we are. I feel like the second half of that game against the Cleveland Browns was the version uh, a lot of us had thought um, was possible with that Carolina. Offense, I think Baker Mayfield and Christian McCaffrey getting on the same page with McCaffrey catching balls out of the backfield as kind of a release valve kind of concept could really get rolling. And this, as much as anything, is an opportunity to fade the G-men, to fade uh, Daniel Jones at home, who has a terrible against the spread record for whatever reason at home. I think that uh, the enthusiasm, all of Giants Nation feels about their situation watching Brian Dayball in that locker room dancing around with everybody was spectacular I enjoyed it very much as a guy who who was levered into uh the 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 Giants catching six and a half points against the Titans that was wonderful I enjoyed all of it but the Titans aided and abetted they were accomplices to their own demise in, in that game from my perspective and it's led to the Giants being an inappropriate favorite in this game against the Panthers I think the Panthers defense is legit this is another tease where I'm grabbing the Panthers from two and a half up through eight and a half this combination I'm not going to call anything can't lose in in week two but I'm very enthusiastic for it do you have an opinion uh, around these sides I think these are two good teaser legs I will say I feel uneasy about the Bengals I bet it but I feel uneasy about the Bengals in a teaser leg just because a it sort of feels square b there's this element of like well they can't lose and go to zero and two um and we didn't really like the Bengals entering the season I have questions and concerns about their coaching staff and what they entered mm. the season with from mm. a, you know, Zach Taylor, if he didn't go and turn that team and, and and win a bunch of close games and get Joe Burrow performing extremely well, like 
And that team ended up not having a winning record last year. And remember, like, what were they, like 10 and 7? It's not like they had this massively great winning record. Like, there's a chance Zach Taylor might have been on his way out the door. Like, that, you know, uh, they they just had such positive variance last year. Um, And I didn't love what I saw from Zach Taylor in the first week of the season. I guess the only good news is he is going up against Mike McCarthy. And he's going up against, uh, you know, a backup quarterback. So he's not going to be outclassed from a coaching perspective here too much. Uh, with or what a we're quarterback get out of the Dallas Cowboys, right? Or, or, and certainly not. It's hard to outduel, uh, you know, Joe Burrow. <laughs> the reason that Joe Burrow uh, lost that game was a lot of great variance from the Steelers' defense. And the Dallas Cowboys obviously have a very good pass rush uh, with Micah Parsons. But aside from that, I do think there are holes in that defense, and uh, there's enough there for Joe Burrow to exploit. So I'm, I, I can't hate this one. I will tell you that I cannot hate this one. I think it's a pretty good uh, teaser combination. No, that that's as exotic as I'm going to get. I have some some other stuff out there, money line parlays. You know, if you want to take a bunch of favorites, you can you can pair up. You know, put the Bills and the Rams. You know, these teams that that lost Week One or didn't look good in Week One, and start combining them in in uh, money line uh, uh, parlay kind of situation. Speaking of you know exotic territory, you know we're doing this same game parlay. The Ringer Crew. Uh, JJ this week, Austin and Raheem cooking up some legs. I think they're going for another five leg same gamer. I will have everybody know we came within a yard of hitting my turn one beer into 50 beer last week. We came a single yard away from, from, from hitting that one, but those guys, it'll go up on, uh, all of our uh, social feeds. Keep an eye out this weekend. FanDuel, very generous, looking for an opportunity to, for everybody to share and turn one beer into 50 beers across the board with, with some kind of uh, uh, multi-leg same game teaser that the ringer crew is putting together. But I'm interested, what, what one play from you, uh, and then we'll bid everybody adieu for week two. You can still get it. Uh, unders in the Ravens-Dolphins game. Um, first half, full, like, I'm on both of them. Um, okay. I, I just, I, I love these teams. I love these quarterbacks. I think that they're better than people give them credit for. But right now, I don't love the infrastructure around them. Um, having concerns about the offensive line. It, by the way, it just broke that Dolphins offensive tackle Austin Jackson is going to be placed on injured reserve. We kind of thought that, that was coming, but yeah. he's officially out. So they're down offensive linemen and they were allowing pressure at the highest rate in the NFL without blitzing from the Patriots last week. Um, I, I think the way that this goes over, obviously got to think about the other side of the bet, is a couple Lamar Jackson big bombs. Um, defensive takeaways, sending up short fields. I mean, all of these things could happen, but the odds that they happen enough to send this game to land 45 plus points to me is a little bit low. And that's why I like the under. Okay. Fantastic. Well, I, I would say, I mean, we, we hit on half the slate the way that we like to do it here uh, on, on Friday, gave everybody hopefully tons of stuff to chew on. I'm sad to say that my best bet, my favorite bet, the bet the house of this week is going to be that teaser <laughs> after losing a teaser last week with my best bet because of uh, the San Francisco. And we'll just attribute that to weather variants and I'll save my Trey Lance slander. I'm going to be generous. We're going to watch San Francisco against Seattle. I think it's another bad spot for, for, for San Francisco, Seattle and Pete Carroll. I know they don't have Russell Wilson, but man, they, it's a, kinda... it's a bad, it's a bad spot. For Seattle, it's well, a, it might not be a great matchup for San Francisco, but it's a bad spot for Seattle. 
Why? I mean, because they're coming off of the 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 Monday yeah. night and okay. you know, think an about this. I know. Win. I, I, get I know we're running that. over a second here, Mike. I apologize, <laughs> but I got I got to share this. Look, Seattle. Think about what happened to New, the New England Patriots when they hosted Tom Brady. And I know in this case, yes, the New England Patriots barely lost that game, but they did have a last second field goal that they attempted. And if they yes. had made that, they would have won the game. They in either won. case. Bill Belichick and that whole team put so much into that game against Tom Brady. They went next week. They were favored by like eight points against the lowly Houston Texans. And they were losing throughout that game. They barely came back and won that game. Didn't come close to covering the spread, though. Same that, situation here. I know. You got a team Super off Bowl. of I know. You got you got a team off of short rest. They played on Monday night. Now they they're did. going on a on a Sunday to play the San Francisco 49ers after this huge game that they put all their summer yes. effort into preparing for. And once again, a long field goal. They almost could have lost that game. They end up winning it. They should have probably lost it with all those goal line fumbles by the Denver Broncos. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's just a very difficult spot for them to get up. And then you look at the other side, like everybody's hating on the San Francisco 49ers. Everybody's, you couldn't be lower on the San Francisco 49ers right now. The way that they lost that game to the Chicago Bears who had nothing around Justin Fields and everybody thought Justin Fields and this team was going to be terrible this year. And the San Francisco 49ers come out and forget the fact they got up early. The bottom line was they lost that game. I, I think people are like, what in the world? Yeah, There's no well, way the San Francisco 49ers can be laying this many points. The Seattle Seahawks are way better than I thought. Did you see Geno Smith? They're way better than I thought. I just think it's a bad spot for the, the Seattle Seahawks here. And for the Niners, coming back home after playing in a monsoon, I mean, it's it's got to be a better spot than they were in last week. I, I guess so. I just think, you know, Pete Carroll um, has a history. For whatever reason, he's owned Kyle Shanahan. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to touch it. I'm just not going to be in a position uh, until we see some kind of progress out of Trey Lance where I'm laying any kind of significant points with, with the 49ers. In, yeah, against, I'm not, I'm not laying anybody. it either. Yeah, yeah, I'm not laying it either. I'm just saying yeah. I, I was just I don't think that it is a very good spot whatsoever for the Seahawks here. Well, it's just it'll be a wonderful wait and see. And we'll we'll see uh, what we get. Week two, baby. We did it. I, I can't wait. Warren Sharp. Thank you so much. Good luck, everybody, for your bets this week. Obviously, you had a great show today, but don't forget you can check out Raheem Palmer on Sunday morning delivering his best bets right here on the Ringer Gambling Show. And of course, shows every day next week. I'll be back on Wednesday with Austin Gale once again, midweek, breaking down what we saw and what we think is going to happen this upcoming week. House, good luck, everybody else out there. Good luck. Hope you guys win some money. <laughs>